one of the things I love about being from the South is that I'm from a place that is frightening to other people. And I find that very exhilarating. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Meaningful Miscellanea. We are very excited about this one because we are interviewing Harrison Scott Key, author and Southern nerd that we have dreamed about interviewing since we talked about this. How, how exciting was this, Richie? It was so exciting. In fact, I think he was the very first name that we said, if we were going to interview somebody, he was at the top of the list. And so the idea that we got to do this interview first is really kind of shocking. I was... Uh, Jacob and I, as we were, uh, you know, discussing this, we both kind of got nervous as it got closer and we were afraid that we we're going to be kind of like Chris Farley was. If you've ever seen the, the, the footage of Chris Farley and Paul McCartney, when he, Chris Farley looked at Paul McCartney and said, when he interviewed him and said, Hey, do you remember, do you, do you remember when you were in the Beatles? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if that actually did happen, nobody will know because we'll edit it out. So it won't. We'll just uh, edit it out. Yeah, it may have happened. It may not have happened. We were just. I, I was just a. You know, he's just really. We really like his work, and so you just kind of get nervous or self conscious around people that you really respect, and so that was kind of fun. And then we realized as we got into it, he was just like he was just another dude that was as nerdy and as quirky as the rest of us so it was just a it was a great experience yeah and we were so thankful that he agreed to hop on with us and talk and uh this was great it's a fun time hope you guys enjoy this interview with harrison scott key harrison scott key is the author of two books congratulations who are you again and the world's largest man He's the winner of the Thurber Prize for American Humor in 2016. His writing has appeared in publications like the Oxford American, the New York Times, Town and Country, Southern Living, and Reader's Digest, which I'll have to confirm with my mother if that last one is actually true. <laughs> he holds a master's in fine arts in creative nonfiction and a PhD in playwriting. He is a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, where he lives with his wife and three daughters. Harrison, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on and being with us. Thank you. You know, since that uh, bio uh, was written, I, and I also have a, I have a cat and a, a tortoise <laughs> and a dog now. <laughs> and, What's your dog's name? I think I've seen it on Instagram. Uh, his name is Gary. My dog. Mm, That's a great name. Strong. Yeah, he's a... <laughs> He is, he's strong. He's, he's a reprobate. He's, uh, um, he's gay and he's not a Christian. So, um, <laughs> oh, man. I, don't know, I don't know which, I don't know what that means, but well, we'll keep, pray for him. We'll pray for him. He hasn't been to church. He won't come to church. <laughs> he's, he's a bad boy. He's bad. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, um, I gotta say that when, when Richie, when we talked about this podcast a couple of months ago and Richie coined the term Southern nerd 
for our show. I, I've got, I must confess, you were maybe one of the first ones that we thought of um, and dreamed of having on. So <laughs> thank you for being with us. Yeah, you uh, probably already know. You don't even need a definition of what a Southern nerd is. No, I don't. I, I, I live it, man. <laughs> I live it. I mean, I, I'm like every bad thing about a redneck and every bad thing about a nerd all in one person. <laughs> like, I want to talk about, like, I, 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 like, I want to talk about, um, like, obscure films, and I want to read passages from books that nobody wants me to read aloud. And I love to talk about the, the Latinate roots of certain words. <laughs> Um, but I also don't mind like shooting Roman candles at my neighbor from my porch. <laughs> yeah. It's a great combo. You may be our patron saint of uh, <laughs> Southern nerds. That, that, that does not speak well of. of <laughs> like oh man. Yeah. yeah. A Southern nerd was just basically like we grew up. Yeah. The, your book, especially the first one was, it just captured what it was like to grow up with just the macho 12 gun, 12 gauge shooting football world of, uh, of, you know, Christian South kind of stuff. Yeah. And like we were talking about, we, we like we're listening to tears for fears in crowded house yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, you know, and falling asleep underneath the deer stand. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that that brings just a, a just a beautiful tragic uh, figure, so that you really characterize that in a lot of oh, ways. Thank so. you. <laughs> um, you know, one thing we'd like to ask you is, when you were a kid, what were some of the things that just made you laugh as a kid, like a movie or book? What what did you love to laugh at when you were young? I mean, I laughed at all the, the normal things, you know, the movies. And I mean, we didn't have cable. Uh, we told a lot of stories. Uh, I loved, it was a sort of combination of sort of, you know, the stories we told around the dinner table uh, were especially at deer camp and with my father and, and my grandfather and my brother, you know, a, 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 definitely a bodiness. Uh, I mean, these are all these were all uh, decent Christian men, but there was definitely a bodiness that I find in, in any rural environment. You have people who work, people who work with farm animals. They just they tell jokes that are inappropriate because mm-hmm. you just it's all around you. And um, so there was a combination of that kind of humor, which was very much um, a humor that was very transgressive. Uh, finding ways to talk about sex and boys and girls and men and women and homosexuality and these things in a way that was very um, oblique and, uh, and not crass, but definitely crass. So there was that kind of humor or just talking about, I mean, you know, potty humor might be a word for it. Just, you know, uh, you know, one, you know, catching somebody using the bathroom in the woods when they were supposed to be hunting, just you know, that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. the kind of, my dad loved that kind of uh, low bar humor. Um, and then my mom, you know, she is who turned, you know, it was her who would hand me, you know, the Dave Barry from the newspaper and, and say, read this out loud or listen to this, you know, the Reader's Digest. My father had no interest in stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, movies that we loved. I remember loving 
finding certain movies hilarious as a boy, like uh, Good Morning Vietnam was such a funny movie. Mm. And his, and Robin Williams is, uh, when he was playing Adrian Cronauer, his, his DJ bits he would do. Uh, funny voices, man. I love doing funny voices. Uh, my, my mother and I definitely share a sense of humor where we laugh at things and then we feel bad about laughing at them. <laughs> and we still do that. I mean, and it's funny because it's not, it's not mockery. It's, she would be like, you know, <coughs> she would, she did, um, what do you call them? Correspondence courses correspondent Bible classes with, um, with various students in, um, in Africa and in Asia. And they would send her pictures. And every now and then there'd be somebody in the background of one of these pictures, you know, who like was missing all of their teeth or had one eye. You know, I mean, of course, today we would see that and we would feel nothing but compassion. But, you know, she would say, look at this look at this poor person, look at all these poor people. <laughs> and, and I would start laughing and she would start laughing and then she'd say, stop laughing. <laughs> and then I'd try to make the face, you know, I try to do the face. Oh yeah. And, or I take the black juju fruits and I black out my teeth. <laughs> um, so, so it was definitely sort of competing senses of humor growing up with, I mean, I love the tonight show and watching the comedians on the tonight show uh i didn't get a lot of comedy you know there were every now and then you'd find a comedy album a steve martin or or a uh, richard pryor <clears throat> those were great and we would just listen over and over and then i found uh but it was always finding them in bits and pieces you know i remember when i had never really found a television show funny until i watched seinfeld and i was in high school uh i i'm 45 and i remember i was in high school and I was sick and so I recorded everything on NBC on Thursday night because that was the best night on NBC. I was going to just watch it on Friday because I was so bored at home sick. And I watched, but I watched it anyway while I was recording it. And it was an episode of Seinfeld. And I think this was 1991. And I had never laughed that hard ever. And I was so sort of, um, delighted and thrilled that I could laugh that much just by watching something on TV. Mm -hmm. Most of what was on TV was you would chuckle, but that was it, you know? And so uh, a combination of sort of uh, mainstream culture references, um, some books and reading and humor writing, uh, and then a lot of inappropriate jokes that my father and grandfather told. Oh, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting that overlap over those, kind of lowbrow humor, but then Seinfeld is what actually, you know, kind of knocked it out of the park for you, which is a oh, different, yeah. different group of uh, yeah. humor it, values. It's like, it's like Manhattan humor for a kid, for a guy in star Mississippi <laughs> and like both of those things together. It's like it, my mother, you remind, you remind me of my mother would say she would look at somebody and she was, she, she has a great sense of humor, but she would, I could tell when she thought someone's funny, she didn't want to laugh. She would kind of tap on her tooth like this, like, oh my <laughs> goodness. And she would look at somebody, she would say, there's, um, he's got something wrong with him. <laughs> yeah. He's got, there's something wrong with him. And, and we would, we would kind of do the same thing and just like not wanting to laugh. And then she'd be like, y'all stop laughing. And yeah. she would just lose it. Same idea. My, my mom would say, she still does this. We were at the grocery store the other day and she, and 
she saw this man kind of dragging his foot. And she goes, "Reckon what's the matter with him?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, mom, he's crippled. What do you think? I mean, he's dragging his foot. Like, I I don't have a medical degree, but I can see it. Do you want me to go confirm confirm it with him?" She goes, "Hush." <laughs> but like just that that say wrecking what's the matter with him is yeah. hilarious you're just teeing it up for something yeah. that's ridiculous diagram funny. that sentence reckon what's the matter with him that's, <laughs> yeah you won't hear that in 20 years it's right? like when i went down to, it, it's the same thing when i went down with a uh, with a group of guys from mississippi down to pascagoula after one of the uh, hurricanes and one of the guys named joey we called him Uncle Joey. He used to have dessert for brec after breakfast, like breakfast dessert. <laughs> so he's just like one of these Delta guys. And he went down there and he said, like, he's working the whole time. He said, well, I hadn't seen very much uh, stuff that I thought I'd see. Like, he wanted to see some bad stuff. <laughs> and so at the end of the last day, he goes, reckon we're going to see some destruction, some devastation. <laughs> like, I'd like to see a little bit of devastation down here. Just a little bit. It was like a mission trip. All he wanted to see some devastation. Yeah, where are the dead bodies at? That's what yeah. I want. Reckon when, reckon when y'all think we're going to see some devastation. Uh. <laughs> reckon is awesome. That that word needs to be cut, brought back. Reckon. Yeah, you don't hear that. You don't hear that a lot. Mm -mm. So uh, something where something else we were talking about is just I'm from Arkansas. I'm from Little Rock. Jacob's from Louisiana. You're from Mississippi. My wife's from Mississippi. My dad's from Hattiesburg. So just like we're from three states that are like we talk. Jacob and I love talking about this stuff that are kind of punchline states, um, and like kind of Arkansas, Louisiana. Mississippi. But if you live in Pennsylvania or you live in Oregon, it's all the same place, right? But we know there's a different Souths and different flavors of those different places that I think make for something so beautiful. And so one of the one of the things. It just the idea of like modern rock music and modern country music really was formed from our three states. Oh. And I actually, I actually have a picture of that. It's a picture in Sun Studios and Elvis Presley's at the piano. It's a famous picture. Elvis Presley is at the piano. Uh, Johnny Cash is standing next to him singing. And then Jerry Lee Lewis and also Carl Perkins. We won't talk about him. Jerry Lee Lewis. You've seen that picture at Sun Studios. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I love that picture is it's a rep each one of those guys, I think, represents those states so well. Like, there's something, my wife's from Mississippi, my dad's from Mississippi. There's some, there's, there's a swagger and a little sparkle and something just about Elvis Presley that is so Mississippi to me. Mm -hmm. That is just, that has a, he just has that funky quality that just is so charismatic. And then, our, and then you have Johnny Cash, who's kind of like, is he dangerous? Like he's like, he's like, he's uncle Joe across the river, kind of gritty and, and kind of, but, but there's, but there's also a lack of pretense and almost an every man kind of gritty character to him. And then you've got Jerry Lee Lewis, who is like, is he a preacher or is he, is he a voodoo guy or like, and it's like all three of those things meet in Memphis, Tennessee, create rock music, like all of that stuff. To me, that's like something that Jacob and I talk so much about is how our places, our nowhere places that people make fun of all the time, create the music and a lot of the culture that like shaped basically the 20th century. I mean, the, there would be no Beatles if it had not been for those those guys in that room together making that music. Um, you're definitely, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't really have any shame um, coming from where I come from, you know, I did at a point, but you know, I mean it, and I definitely felt like, 
I think looking back, probably, you know, earning four college degrees probably was a little way to sort of give myself a little credibility in some of the other places I, I needed to, to be in. And then obviously, you know, writing some books. And it was very, it was very important to me to, um, when I went on my first book tour, it was very important to me to, to do book events in New York and in Brooklyn and uh, in Chicago and LA and other places, just to show that I could be just as funny there as I am back home and that I could learn that crowd and, and learn something and try to feel, you know, what was different about that crowd. That was very important to me, but I definitely feel no shame about it. I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, I feel um, sorry for people who are from other places. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a sad and it's a, a, a terrifying place, but I mean, what the way I describe it, to others is that you know everything good and bad about america was invented in those places yeah everything beautiful and terrifying everything beautiful and terrible and so you know we've been because of the terrible you know we've had so much art come from from where we're from and you know with uh you have i mean if you had as many writers uh in you know oregon then everybody would be fascinated with Oregon, uh -huh. you know, but they're not because it's Oregon, you know, and Oregon's a beautiful place. Oregon's prettier than any of the places we're from. It's the most beautiful place in the, the United States or one of them, but because uh, it hasn't, doesn't have the story and the history uh, and doesn't have the, you know, the, the art becomes part of the story of the place mm. that, uh, you know, Faulkner and Welty and Flannery O'Connor and, and the great writers, the Tennessee Williams, these people, by telling the stories, they're just putting another layer onto the landscape in a, a way that people understand it. And so I feel just very fortunate to be where I'm from and to have grown up. And I think, you know, people could say that about anywhere. I mean, I think it'd be really cool if I'd grown up in Manhattan, you know, that'd be cool too. Uh, it'd be a different kind of cool. But one of the things I love about being from the South is that I'm from a place that is frightening to other people. And I find that very exhilarating. <laughs> um, I don't know how else to say it. I like being, because I thought I was, and this is part that something that sort of comes out in my first book. Um, I felt like such a pansy growing up because I didn't like to do any of these things or I didn't feel a natural inclination to, you know, just go shoot something and see if I could turn it into a hat. I just wasn't my thing. And, but I did it. I did it because that's where I'm from. And that's what my cousins were doing that day. And, and what my father made me do. And so I feel I'm like, Oh wait, I'm actually not a pansy. Like I, if, you know, if the, if the revolution finally comes, I can go full red dawn if I need to, you know, <laughs> I've got all the guns and the knives and, and I've tried to, and so it was the danger. And I'm, and I'm not talking about, I mean, I, I do think, you know, we could talk about race. I think that's a, that's an important piece that you can't remove from this equation. But I think in terms of what we're talking about right now is just the sense of, uh, when I say connectedness to the land, I guess what I mean is that you, there wasn't a lot mediating between you and uh, a sort of primal, uh, primeval, people and dirt and blood 
there wasn't a lot between you and wow. that. And so because of that, it just, it makes you more alive. It makes you a little less fearful of things, how, how to, how to kill something, how to get blood on your hands, how to make, how to birth something, how to, you know, pull one animal out of another animal. And I think that the lack of mediation is, is very scary. And I think culture is, is really about putting layers of mediation to help us understand what happened before. And so, uh, when people from in so I, I love cities cities are probably the greatest creation in humankind is the city and i love cities but cities are very mediated places and so to be from a place like mississippi or like louisiana or arkansas is so frightening and so scary and i didn't know that until i left and then i felt completely i felt like the bravest person alive mm -hmm. that i had gotten through it and done all these things like you know, there's the scene, I'm rereading um, Lonesome Dove right now. And, you know, it's like that thick. And there's a scene in the, in the miniseries and in the book where they're crossing a river and this, you know, guy gets attacked by a nest of water moccasins and gets bit in the face. And it's this really dramatic moment. And I remember seeing that, I think I was about 15. I remember seeing that and it was, it was dramatic. And I, and I was so like, I so remembered that scene from the movie. And then it wasn't years later until I realized that like, I had seen that many snakes kill an animal in the river in front of me. <laughs> and that we had to shoot them all. Wow. And that we had to pull the animal out of the river. Wow. And it was like, oh wow, like that is scary. So mm -hmm. it was something for me, just from a, a rural perspective that was very, uh, gave me a lot of courage once I left the South. It reminds me of what you hear and read about Tolkien talking about fairy stories or Chesterton or George MacDonald, that here's a place that's kind of enchanted. Mm -hmm. And the South seems to be, it is that kind of hidden enchantment with story and with, I like the way you put that with, it's an immediate place. It is, it is a place where you are, you are, you're, your hands are dirty from living life. And, but there's so much, there's so much history and, and joy and love in the midst of that and, and evil as well and, and heartache, but it's a, it's still very much a, it's an enchanted place. And I guess everywhere is enchanted, but there's a, like you said, I guess Manhattan's enchanted, but there just seems to be a, a certain, it's like you're, it's like a fairy tale when you're like hearing your mom say, reckon what, you know, that's like something you would think of a, a that's language out of a, out of a, a faraway land. It is. <laughs> and just the smells and the feel. We talk a lot about the way things smell and just the feel of the South and the heaviness of that. The air is like a character. It's yeah. so heavy and so wet. And it's like it, there have been places in Arkansas and South Arkansas where I'd be like, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw a pterodactyl right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this is like this is this is a jungle this is a friggin yeah. jungle yeah that's beautiful man you make it look easy what you do it's like a, a like a good songwriter who the first couple of verses have you have you uh, cracking up but then that last verse has you in tears and I loved what you had to say uh, in your in your second book and in your TED talk just about the American dream and 
and it was filled with humor, but so much good truth about not being able to, you really can't have it all at one time in this, in this, in this, uh, in this life. You've got to make your choices and you might should uh, end up with making simpler choices. There has to be some hard fault uh, wisdom there, hard fault life experience that went into that. No, it's all, it just comes natural, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of cake. No, you know, you're trying to, you're, uh, I mean, any work of art, you're trying to, to um, take something uh, ugly and make it beautiful. I mean, that's what, what art is and what much of life is. And so uh, that's just, you know, humor is the way I engage the world mo on most days. Um, seeing things, seeing the incongruity in things, you know, things don't quite fit. Uh, you know, we, we want everything to fit. We want things to, we want the t-shirt we buy to fit. We want the pants to fit. We want the relationship to fit. And um, so I've always, I mean, I think that's where humor comes from is just, it comes from things not quite fitting and recognizing that. Uh, and, you know, for me, I, I tell, I tell students, you know, wherever you straddle two worlds is probably where the humor is. Wherever, if you, you know, you grew up Jewish on Long Island, but you married somebody from Southern California, then there, there's, that's where the humor is in that person's experience. Or if you got, you know, for me, it was, you know, being a child of the city who wore, you know, vans and parachute pants. And I was a BMX racer sponsored by a bike shop and, memphis when i was nine which is really cool like i was sponsored man i was like i was the kid of the 80s you know like i mean i was yeah. rad the movie that was rad i was about to say that's rad i was living that dream i raced and everything and, and have trophies and all that and then just yanked out of that into the the rural south and so so much humor comes from that incongruity of like wow I didn't even have a place to ride my bike. Like there was no place to ride a bike. And so everything was taken. And so I think just naturally because I look for incongruities and, mm -hmm. and I, I learned that if I point them out in a way that was charming and pleasant, people would laugh. They would laugh in a surprising way as a boy. You know, I tell um, this story. I remember how when I was a kid, I was at a uh, 50th anniversary party at a church in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And I was probably 10. And there was a line of old people just sitting there, just a line of them. And I went up to one and I asked her how old she was. And, uh, and she told me. And then I went and asked the next lady and I was like, these people are so old. I got to find out how old they are. <laughs> and everybody, and my mom was, and everybody was laughing. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to keep doing this. And my mom was like, stop it. And I turned to her and I was like, how old are you? <laughs> and, and so with all that to say that humor has always been my way to engage the world. Um, and it's always been a way to be curious about the world. And so, no matter, but I'm a person, so bad things happen to me. And so the answer to your question is, is that, you know, whatever happens to me, I'm going to find a way to write about it funny because that's just my MO. That, that's the instrument that I play.
So, you know, if you play the accordion, then you're going to find a way to play Sweet Child of Mine on the accordion. <laughs> and some songs are better for it and some aren't. And by the way, while we're on accordions, I, I heard a man. So, you know, I grew up in the Church of Christ and the hymn that he was just so, so good. I wouldn't, I couldn't say much for the theology of it, but I mean, this was essentially the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack from <laughs> acapella. It was beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And these are, these are working class songs of salt of the earth people. We had black and white in our church and we were all singing these songs. And I was at a book event uh, before the pandemic and I missed these songs a lot, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I play drums in the church band and it is the trippiest. I call it Muppet Church. We have a strange little church um, and we play some interesting music. But uh, this guy was playing old, like old 19th century hymns, not old, like 5th century Presbyterian hymns, but 19th century hymns on his accordion. And man, they sounded so sad. <laughs> so. You know, when you guys are if you're thinking about worship plans, like have somebody play a, a gospel, an American, like second grade awakening gospel tune on the accordion. It will be the saddest thing in church. <laughs> That's a great idea, you. man. I'll also have you craving spaghetti at the same time. So it's sad, <laughs> but I would really like a meatball. Which <laughs> right. is to say, I play, I, my, you know, humor is sort of the accordion of the liter literary world. And uh, yes. anything that happens on it is going to have a certain is going to have a certain feel. So you said you were in a band earlier, I think before we were rolling tape. So what kind of music do you are you guys playing? Um, well, let's see. We just had to figure out a set list for this next gig. We, we gig once every two to three years, and we have one coming up. We, but we've been, we practice every Thursday, and we have, even during the pandemic. So that's, that's awesome. been a, a real blessing. Um, so we, some of the songs in our set list, like After Midnight, Grill uh, mm. is Gone, uh, mm. That's All Right Mama. Um, we play some really dumb songs because one of the guys insists on it. We play Brown Eyed Girl, and we really, we really gave this guy a lot of a lot of crap for wanting to play that song. Um, <laughs> we play some Daft Punk, like uh, Get Lucky. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, we play some Zeppelin. Uh, we play some Bill Withers. Uh, some um, uh, there's a great song by. Uh, what what's his name he just he just passed away little richard there's a great song by little richard called southern child mm -hmm. uh i would go to spotify and listen to that we it's a great song um so it's a lot it's it's a lot of soul um but we do a lot of a lot of jamming because we have a couple of good musicians uh and i love to jam and just stretch a song out to 12 minutes or so so we do a lot of that as well who's your favorite do you have do you have a favorite drummer or drummers well, I'd probably have to say John Bonham just because of the, the I listened to some of Zeppelin when I was a boy and I, I play a kit like the one he played in um, the song remains the same concert movie. It's a Ludwig Vista light, clear, translucent blue. His was, his was like a more Auburn color, but, um, wow. or Amber color, but, um, but there's so many great drummers out there. I love uh, Billy Martin from Modesky Martin and Wood is a mm. great drummer. 
Um, Stanton Moore, who plays with a band called Galactic in New Orleans. He's a, an amazing drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I just, I'm just trying to get better and slowly stripping my kit down. Like now I just play with a snare and a kick drum, one cymbal and, and a floor tom. And I feel like slowly I'm going to remove some of that too, just to get good. And, and that's one of the things I've been doing in the worship band is slowly taking things away. And then I play with like, we play some bluegrass songs in church. Um, uh, but uh, also uh <laughs> We we'll just play. I mean, growing up acapella, this is so weird for me to be playing drums in church. <laughs> it feels naughty. I feel a little, a little guilty. It does, but but it's so much fun. It is so much fun. It's like drums are almost like you were talking about humor being the the role it plays like in the literary world. It's like dr- drummers are kind of the the comedians of the in, in oh, all my years in bands. Like drummers just the, the craziest. That's interesting. That you're a drummer. Yeah, I, I I have met a, a number of other writers who are also drummers. Bill Burr, comedian Bill Burr is Bill a Burr. Yeah, there, yeah, there's wow. something about it. The timing of it, humor writing is so much about timing. It's more like songwriting than than prose composition. Uh, it's about um, you got to it, it's got to be within the rhythm. You know, you uh, the punchline has to land on. Like I will often notate when I write speeches for people. I will notate where they should, how they should deliver it. Um, and I, so I think drumming naturally lends wow. itself to that. Wow. Yeah. The timing. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Wow. Well, Harrison, I know that uh, we're running out of time here and what we like to do at the end of our show is uh, cause we want to always be seeking uh, gratitude and uh, joy in life. So, we like to do a little segment. I'm going to play you this song in case you haven't heard it. This asks the question. Was it a sunrise or a book you read? Maybe a show you watched on your TV set? Or tell me, what's giving you life? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Harrison. Beautiful. These days, these days, I mean, these are strange days. So, but what is giving you life at this time? What are you, what are you enjoying in, in a new special way right now? Oh, man. <laughs> Let me really peel back the layers of the onion here and think about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to sound cool. I'm just going to give you some. I'm just yeah. gonna the hill. Cool, not allowed. Cool, yeah. not allowed. Um, uh, Walking my dog in the in the evening when I get home from work, um, I have been looking for an excuse not to hang out with my family in the evenings for years, and now I have one, so that's great. Um, you know, my I get home and my and I'm the only one who can walk Gary because he's he's got the strength of twenty dogs, and yes. and so they can't walk him. And so when I get home, she's like, you have to walk Gary. And I'm like, okay. And then <laughs> I crack a beer and I get Gary and we hit, hit the neighborhood. Um, he's sort of like the son I never had. Um, I talk to him like I would talk to my son. Uh, I, I wrestle with him at night and I probably am ruining him for other people because like we wrestle, like we really wrestle. And like he bites me and I kind of like body slam him. 
and it's so much fun. It's just like I would do. I do it with my. I did it with my daughters until they, you know, got older and they were over that. And so, uh, but now, like anybody tries to play with Gary, he like attacks them, and I'm like, <laughs> perfectly normal. It's ready um, to go. So, uh, giving Gary walks and, uh, my youngest daughter, occasionally she will ask to go on the walk with me and she, so she can tell me about her day. And that is oh, really man. sweet. And she's 10 and, uh, she's the only one of the children who likes me. And so I'll, uh, <laughs> that. and my wife doesn't talk. My wife's not a talker and a sharer like I am. And so it's so awesome to have somebody else in the family who just wants to tell you things, even if you didn't ask. And so that's really cool is going on walks with Ferris. That's her name. And uh, whether it's by myself or with her, that's one thing. Uh, what else is giving me life? Being in the band is right now. Mm. It's a way to interact with other people. Um, it, we're really getting really good and tight. Uh, I haven't played this much since I was in college. We used to gig around town in Jackson. And so this has been really fun. And it is uh, completely, it's, total play we're all just playing like literally big p play and that has been such a delight mm. uh, i'm re-watching mad men right now my, my favorite television show i love mad men because of the way it uh, highlights the creative process and delivering on a deadline and nobody else in my family i mean much it's too much for my children my wife doesn't she's not really into it um but I, I rewatch it every year or two and it's so exciting when I get, let myself rewatch it. I just love it. It's, I love, it's a world <laughs> that I love to be in. And so I love that show. And then um, I could probably give you a few other things right now, but I, I'll leave it at those three. That's great. Does yeah. Mad Men make you want to smoke? Does it make you like, you just like want to. <laughs> oh, I've got, well, I, I do smoke occasionally at band practice. Mm -hmm. I have got, you know, and I don't, I don't feel bad about it. I, uh, I also don't try to make out with my wife when I get home. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's a give or take. You got to choose one or the other. But, but when I, <laughs> but when I watch Mad Men, I'm, I'm just, re I just remember how much smoking was in our youth. I'm sure you guys remember, you know, people smoking in cars and, and I love, so I just love watching. I love, I, I love the humor of where they have people smoking. <laughs> that the first time you watch that show, it's not really funny. But then when you re on the third or fourth time and like the kid, like the baby is eating its baby food and the mom is like right there smoking. <laughs> but it's not, it's a scene. The scene is not about the smoking. It's just off to right. the side. Right. I, that's just so funny to me. There's so many pictures of me like unwrapping a Christmas present and like a, someone smoking a cigarette. Like, right? <laughs> like hold it up. To the camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for being on with us, Harrison. I appreciate it, and you guys you guys are nice, and y'all are funny. And uh, when your podcast finally gets gets picked up for national syndication, uh, I'll come back on, and, and we'll live yeah. it we'll live it all over again. Awesome. Yeah. Well, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, people, if you've not read Harrison's books, I I tell you these are uh, I don't think I've ever laughed more in a book before and and also just been had my heart warmed at the same time mm -hmm. so go do it um, yeah, yeah check these out for sure for sure all right harrison thank you we'll talk to you down the road Appreciate maybe it, man we'll once that you. spotify deal comes in that's right <laughs> yeah right i'll take it easy guys see you man Thanks. peace
Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Harrison as much as we did. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you do us a favor and go on and leave us a review and a rating? That would be awesome. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you're thinking about it and hope you're enjoying it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Thanks.